Cusses, how you doing? <laughs> Very well, thank you, Tom. Fantastic. And Trent, you are the lead game designer of all, and as you have written on your Twitter, I have Boss Bay. <laughs> yeah, that's more accurate. Yeah, I'm absolutely of... not the lead game designer, but I'm, I'm the studio director. So studio yeah. director. I like right, to call okay. him Boss Bay. Lots yeah. of um, <laughs> yeah, it's a you call yourself two times boss bay not just of league of geeks which is a melbourne triple i studio mm -hmm. but also of uh game free play free play right i have written games fest that's <laughs> right before i wrote free play <laughs> kind of so i was the so yeah so it's league of geeks we've been two times that's where the two times comes from there's we're oh. Australia, australian studio of the year right. so i'm the studio director over there and then cool. i was the chair at free play which is australia's largest and longest running independent games festival i did that for a while i think it was like six years or something i was the chair of that but now the chair is uh claire makita absolutely talented um incredible woman who i worked with and she's she's running things over there as chair with Ch chad toprak the director so league of geeks league triple of geeks I studio what does yes. being triple i mean triple i is essentially like a it's it's a premium indie it's you know if we if we think about the triple a you know phrase that we hear you know triple a being blockbuster video games right triple i is essentially a, a term that was coined a number of years ago that sort of applies to the sort of like the top tier the premium uh end of indie so it speaks to the scale of the indie games the degree of quality you're usually talking about teams that are you know like upwards of you know 15 20 people you know can get as high as 50 or something like that and, you know there's a there's a bunch of different ones so you've got like your little trash game zines to indies you know throwing stuff up on itch then you've got your just your your sort of other just like your random indies and you know just that like that broad term you've got triple i which is your premium sort of stuff and then you sort of get into double a which is verging on sort of like the more the studio level stuff you know we're obviously we're a studio as well but like larger you've got teams of 50 plus 40 50 plus then you've got triple a which is historically your blockbuster games but in yeah. recent years there's now a new one which is quad a so quad a are your huge video games in excess of like 100 150 million dollars we're talking teams of you know 500 750 plus multinational game development and also usually games that have tech like historical tech you know and design conventions and everything that just place them outside of the range of anyone being able to compete with them so we're talking like your grand theft autos your assassin's creeds your mm. call of duties that's what we would now call quad a so we're wow. just like we got a, we found our little band which is triple i so for us it means that we basically invest in games that uh, systems heavy so we can actually have a huge amount of replay in our titles but with that replay um, we actually it comes from the systems that we design uh, so it's more emergent uh, and there you know we have we're a strategy we make strategy games we try and make them more presentable and accessible with a bunch of heart and we just absolutely up the level of polish so you'll see that in our debut game Armello. and so what that enables us to do is sort of compete at a level above like your typical indies uh, but and you know, we can nip at the heels of like the the triple A crowd and you know um sort of 
basically it's bang for buck is what we're looking for. It's, it's sort of like the guerrilla warfare <laughs> of like uh, the bigger blockbuster games. Yeah, I mean, like Armello is a fantastic game that was recognized internationally, especially when I was doing my research. Uh, one of the things it said in your title was responsible for the international success story that is Armello, which <laughs> I don't know if you've heard it ever called that, but six years now, I think it is, uh, since yep. release. Yep. How does it feel to look back on six years of of making animals fight like it's uh it's uh it's it's a it's amazing you know like we it started off in our bedroom you know like in our bedrooms we 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 came from the studio system so myself and blake and ty there were a couple of other co-founders at the time too but they're Mm -hmm. no longer with us uh but myself blake and ty my business partners we worked together at a studio called taurus and shipped a bunch of games there you know working on a bunch of different licenses and we wanted to jump on board with the indie thing and so we were like okay and the ipad had just come out so we're like let's just make some kick-ass like digital board game for the ipad like no one's really doing this and it's a great platform for it and we spun up this point system that enabled people who already had jobs or whatever to you know just throw in on the game for profit share and um somehow it all it all worked out through a lot of luck and a lot of hard work and a lot of planning and foresight and just you know putting your face to the grindstone uh, it took us about four years to ship the thing. So we found the studio January 21st in 2011. I set up everything up and um, we first uttered the words um, mellow in April of that year. And then January 24th, I believe it was, or 27th, I can't remember, 2015, we put it into early access. And then September 1st, that same year, we did the full release on PS4 and um, Steam and since then, you know, it's sold over a million copies and we've had, you know, a million downloads on mobile or whatever it is. It's, 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 uh, it's big business. It's helped us build our studio. You know, we, we went from just being like a few of us in our room working with some folks like, you know, throwing in out of hours to now we've got a team of about 40 to 50 folks and we're working on two new IP and, you know, PC console projects. So it's, it's great stuff. We've got some really talented folks working for us. Yeah, Very grateful you... for the success we've had. <laughs> Steam, Switch, PlayStation 4, and now... Sony, I don't know if you knew, but it works on the PlayStation 5 as well. <laughs> Xbox One I'll take and it. Humble, uh, as well as App Store and Google Play. That's a yeah. lot. I'm yeah, you can get on. I know, we're, we're absolutely crazy. You can get it on everything. We just had this philosophy, you know, we're, we... We care a lot about the business of video games, you know, like we self we self published that title, which meant we had to distribute it, we had to market it, we had to do all of the advertising assets, we had to submit it to the store, we had to manage customer support, I traveled, you know, I did over 100,000 miles around the world, like, you know, talking to press and showing people the game and, you know, hustling it over the years leading up to and beyond launch. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's stuff that we wanted to do. We knew that if we did things like, okay, well, let's publish to for, let's localize it to 14 different languages. So then we can have the data and we can see what languages perform well. And then we can take that forward on our next games. Let's do the submission. So we can understand to a full 360 degree, like what it means to make a video game in the current environment. Um, you know, we can have those business relationships. There's just a lot more, a lot more power and control and um, autonomy there for us, you know, and we, we can cut out so many of these middlemen in the industry, you know. And so uh, that was all part of it, you know, shipping to all those different platforms. We wanted to see how to do it. We wanted to, you know, um, get that practice in, but also like sort of the game was successful and people just wanted it in different places. And so we just do, I mean, I remember with Switch, we had a, 
we had a gameplay programmer who worked with us and he was just a switch fanatic and he was like let's put it on switch and we just didn't want to we were you know we're big on focus as much as i say this stuff and we wanted to focus on you know on steam and like you know like just the platforms that were out there and mm-hmm. you know he came to us and put forward a business case and he's like you're we're gonna we're mad if we don't do this look at all these numbers that i've got and this is i'll take the project and we'll make it work and we we're just like okay it was a fantastic business decision. It was really great. And so now it's on the switch as well. So yeah, we just, um, you know, we, we target sort of like just like a minimal, um, you know, just what we need to make the projects like commercially viable and then some, and then from there, we just like assess how it's doing. And we, we do a lot of projections and, you know, run metrics on how to, how to then further exploit sounds like such a dirty word, but it's true. It's like how then we further exploit the product, yeah. you know, and, and it is commercialize a, um... it it is a like a competitive industry. Like you want to be able Absolutely. to uh, compete in the market. And um, yeah, the Switch, I guess in hindsight, seems like the perfect console for oh, a great. game like Armelo to be on. And wow, okay. Um, so Armelo is not the only IP you have, but it's only mm-hmm. uh, released one. Yep. Ha- you got two coming out. Mm-hmm. It was in 2019, your, you announced your work with, oh, 2020 in July, sorry. With private division mm-hmm. yep yeah is that still in the works behind the scenes no so we've gone now we've gone separate ways with private division that was okay. it was a great relationship while it was happening but we you know we um the global pandemic hit and everything yeah. everything changed uh you know and and uh we we really wanted to get back to self-publishing which is you know sort of what we're doing now so we have we now have two titles um, that are new IP. We still have that IP that we're working on with um, Private Division. We're working on two new titles and um, PC and console. And we're just, we're, they're just going really well. We're really excited. So, you know, and, um, and the ability to self-publish again is just, you know, it's it's what we're good at. It's part of, like I was just saying before, we really love having that opportunity to do the 360 degree business side of things, you know, like uh, we love, we, you know, <laughs> Ty Blake and myself, when we were at Taurus, we were on the original pitching team, you know, so uh, brands would come in and they'd be like, we'd get an RFP, a request for a proposal. It might be like, I remember I got one, it was like Chuck E. Cheese, the, the like family restaurants and they want a video game. So you're like, okay, so then you've got to think how to make a Chuck E. Cheese video game and then you pitch it to these publishers. Yeah. And we must've done 30 or 50 pitches like that in our time there and our few years there. And so what that builds is like this really great, because, you know, when you're getting everything from like, you know, monster trucks to Chuck E. Cheese to Scooby-Doo to Barbie to like, you know, Sonic, like all these different things and you're pitching on them to Star Wars or whatever. It it gives you the ability to really understand brands and style and prestige and like what goes into a player experience and what makes certain brands appealing, you know, or certain franchises. And so that's how we cut our teeth. And so that's what we love doing at League of Geeks. Like one of the successes of Armello, one of the key reasons why Armello is a success is we designed it, we built it as a brand first and foremost. We didn't just build a game. We built a brand that had, I remember saying, it's a crazy thing to say, but like this needs to have the ability to be a cross-cultural success like a Harry Potter or like a Star Wars, you know? And so we made sure that we designed it in that way. And, you know, and it proved true. Like some of the people want a movie because of like the animated trailers that we do. We did a bunch of novellas, you know, like, and it's, um, (laughs) it can be like, again, exploited. Like this IP can be exploited in many different ways. There's so many stories to tell. And so getting back to the self-publishing thing, like that's what we love about it. We're, you know, as much as we make video games, we want to build universes. We want to build brands. We want to build franchises. You know, like we really, 
we um, we looked at Blizzard a lot in regards to how they build these wonderful big franchises that are so just filled with story possibilities, and then they just build games within them. It's 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 really 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 phenomenal. It's, yeah. and we want to do a similar thing, and you know, publish and market them as we see as best fit for the actual player experience that we're delivering at that time. That like it sounds exactly what a player wants out of a game too, not mm-hmm. just like an experience for the hands and the keyboard, but for like the mind something that you go to bed dreaming about and thinking about. And I have written down here for our Mellow Notes, dice. I like dice. That's a good <laughs> dice. Man, they've been I around mean, for centuries. Yeah, and I was like, when I uh, went back to it a few months ago to start writing my notes down, I was like, man, I just, like something about dice. And I feel like that was some, like the game really reflected your core understanding of like what players of like strategy and these fantasy worlds really love. And uh, I'm not sure if that's, something of independent developers but like knowing more so your audience personally it felt like rather than uh on a marketing level (laughs) i know what you mean and i want to say that we have some like you know we go through and we pick our audience and like we make a game just for that audience but it's actually you know video games are the intersection of art and science you know very much like they sit at the bleeding edge of both of those things you know like we're this emerging art form that's constantly evolving all the time because of the technological aspects that are evolving all the time you know and so you often find within video game development that if you try and apply these like formalized like metrics to it like say you know some your digital creative agency would have like you know uh, what would it be called, like customer personas or something like that. And they would like carve everything off to that. Yeah, we do have those. We have player personas and we have player experiences and we have player fantasies that we think that, you know, that we're moving towards. But at the same time, we make games that we're interested in playing as well. So there's, there is also a certain degree of like build it and they will come you know and so Armello was very much that like we grew up on so many of those like the Don Bluth animated, you know, animated films and Watership Down and like um, all of these things that, you know, had these, this real sense of consequence to them, like these fantasy worlds where they weren't Disney, you know, didn't suffer that Disneyfication that so many things do these days. And so we, we just knew we were making a game for ourselves as well. We wanted a digital board game that was digital first, that you could, that every time you played it, it you know, it was a new story every time, you yeah. know, and it felt different every time and you could backstab your friends. But at the same time, we knew that like there was particular people that we were targeting and that would be appropriate for that. And, you know, that we used in our, you know, when we did our Facebook marketing or whatever, right? We like put those player personas or into the Facebook marketing. We're like, all right, we'll target people 18 to 35 who are into Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And so it's, it's always a balance, you know, of like working from this side and then working from the other side and then finding that I think you've got to be, you've got to be, if you're going to make great video games, you've got to be equal parts scientist and equal parts artist, you know. Fantastic uh, way to put it as well. You have uh, an experience with talking to, I guess, young people like myself about games design with your work at VCAR. As a lecturer, are you still doing that? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So I was um, basically what happened was uh, VCA had this very prestigious uh, bachelor that's a screenwriting degree. And so, you know, it's a folio selected and that that degree um, has, you know, hundreds of applicants apply every year. And then these, you know, some of the most talented, you know, <laughs> new writers in, in the country, like get accepted into VCA and they were getting there. And then, 
you know, these, some of them, you know, say like 18, 19 years old. And so when they were born, like, you know, the 64 was like doing its thing. Like video games have been the aesthetic form of their generation and they get into the screenwriting degree and there's no video game content. They're like not learning how to write for video games. And so VCA were like, oh God, what do we, what do we do? How do we do this? They went to ABC, ABC recommended me and I came in and I wrote the curriculum for their writing for games um, course, basically. And so now as part of that, I taught that for three or four years, I can't remember, but I wrote the curriculum and then taught writing for games at VCA, which it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my career. And it's also, it's quite challenging. I had like 10 weeks, you know, so I had a certain a semester, that was it, mm-hmm. where I actually had to just, I couldn't teach, you know, these students how to actually make video games. It's too involved. I couldn't teach them all of game design theory. And so what I had to just show them was basically like how the industry, like the spectrum of writing in the industry and teach them, okay, this is a writer, this is a narrative designer, um, and this is how you write for video games. Like you've written for linear formats and this is how you write for a non-linear interactive format. And so the first class was they would make a game. They, I would have them finish a game in Twine in their first class. And then a lot of it, it was great. It was really good as well because every class, basically, we just played a video game for two hours and then the other two hours would be, you know, um, writing or finishing their assignments or whatever it might be, toots. But it was it was just a really fast cramming and education on what games writing is and what what it means to be a writer for video games. Wow, that's, um, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Especially because I, I was 50-50 um, on applying for VCAR and instead I decided to do computer science and that was, well... I mean, you're making it sound a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you just watch, you watch your, uh, your lecturer play video games in your computer science class? Uh, no, no. Normally it's, I watch my lecturer talk about where zeros and ones come out of a CPU, yeah, okay. but you know, that's you messed up, man. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but honestly, like good programming is, it's just, it's the language of the future. You gotta, yeah. you know. So. Well, uh, I'm game development as well. Like teaching uh, youth. Mm-hmm. How has it changed since yourself? You worked at Taurus, yep, doing all of that more like bigger scene, but now in development, independent developments sort of become more of a staple with games as a whole. Mm-hmm. How does that, like, what, hmm, what do you see for the future? yeah yeah for sure i can answer that look I, what i can say is that I, I never went to uni i didn't study like i didn't study video games in uni like i'm self-taught i came in through writing um and games journalism you know i had a short stint there that was completely designed to just get me in the industry as a designer i saw that as a like a pathway in and it wasn't long it was six months or something like that that i was or maybe like nine months that i was doing that until yeah i met the lead designer at the time at at Taurus Games at a, at a conference at GCAP actually um, many, many years ago and had a great, great conversation with him. And then he offered me a job, um, you know, a little bit later on, I got a call because a job came up for a designer writer and that's how I joined the team and sort of the rest is history. But I remember looking around at the time and there weren't, the courses weren't good enough. Like they weren't at a point, like the industry and education, it wasn't mature enough. There were some like, you know, there was DigiPen in the States and there was some that were doing like great stuff. It was starting out, there was one in, um, in the UK that had been um, led by a guy by the name of David Sermon. But, you know, here in Australia, it was really in its infancy. Um, I don't think you could really yet go to like RMIT and say do the games graphic design course that there is now um, and have the quality of education you could. And also it was a studio structure system. So there were only independent, you know, Unreal was like a million dollars to license the engine or something like that at the time. It was like crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I don't know if that's the exact figure, but you know, it was a lot of money, something that an independent developer can't afford, right? 
So it just being an independent developer with the friction to actually enter that arena was just so, so great. Uh, and then to actually be a studio, you know, uh, developer, the amount of jobs that were going, if you want to be a designer, well, there's only like one to three designers at every Australian studio there was at the time, even the big ones, you know, like maybe one to five designers max. Mm. I remember going to conferences at the time and there'd be like five or 10 of us in all of Australia that were designers, you know, like um, hanging out. And so it was really, really hard to get a gig. So I didn't want to spend however much on a course that I knew wasn't really great. That was like sort of following, you know, playing catch up with the industry as well yeah. um, to then maybe not even get a job. So I just, <laughs> just relied on my hustle and the way that I could self-teach to get in, but things have absolutely changed now. So obviously independent game development is completely accessible. It's been fully democratized for everyone. Like, you know, you don't even need to know how to code to ship a commercial video game on your own. Like we, you, right now we could log off from this interview and both of us could make a game by the end of the day, right? And we could put it on the app store or something. So it's super, super approachable. But the other thing too, is that the games courses, like video games courses, especially at RMIT, Swinburne, um, some of the private colleges here, depending on like what you're looking to do, like if you want to be like a 3D artist or if you want to be a game designer, if you want to just like start your own indie studio, if you want to be a writer at a larger studio, there are amazing, amazing courses for, for this stuff. Like my VCA course, um, I know a few students that have gone on to do award-winning video game writing stuff. RMIT, like, you know, there's, there's huge success stories coming out of there, you know, both in the studio system and independently. Um, so there are really, really great options for folks now. Um, and I think that it's absolutely a viable way to get into games. So if you want to get into games, the easiest way, and this is what I tell everyone, is to just make games, whether you go into uni or not, there's no excuse now as someone who's hiring people all the time um, for someone to walk into, you know, our, well, not walk in because we're all working from home, but, you know, jump into a Zoom room and not have any or submit a folio and not have made their own games. Like, it's just not, even if it's with a friend or whatever, um, it's like, because it's so easy right now and that'll always give you an edge. But also those courses are just like so, so incredibly valuable and effective now that, you know, sometimes I think maybe I should just quit making games and go back and <laughs> study at, it, <laughs> at university. And there's, there's great work happening, especially in Melbourne, you know, like RMIT and Swinburne are like award-winning, you know, uh, game design courses. Uh, so, you know, we're very lucky to have them here. Yeah. Uh, with small games as well, obviously, as League of Geeks is now a triple I studio, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you guys have helped with, two games push me pull you and paperback yep how is that as an experience to find a smaller game or a smaller game studio and try and bring them up help them into an industry you're more familiar with amazing like it's incredible it's incredibly rewarding and you know say so for like um <clears throat> with paperback we helped terry and co you know um Terry, Nina, and Ryan, like get that get that game out, help them commercial. It's an almost impossible. Shipping video games is insanely hard. It's it's almost impossible. So anyone who's shipped a commercial video game is just like they deserve they deserve like a million dollars, right? It's like it's incredibly hard. So yeah, we put a we put a, some cash into that game and offered a bunch of mentorship and just helped them get across the line. And you know, they were we saw that they were a really talented team, and also they were doing they were creating a game paperback that we could see was really important for Australia's screen culture. You know, like day in the life of Wombat and like how beautiful it was and how much they cared about that Australian story. We wanted to support it. And now they've gone on and, you know, they're doing great things as well. Like uh, Terry with Paper Houses, you know, they're, they've got this new game, Wooden Weather, you know, working with Jack Crosby, who worked on Armello. 
and Sam, who has, you know, worked on the BAFTA um, winning uh, Florence, you know, there's, 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 there, these people go on to do great things. I mean, the house house crew who, you know, we, we, we co-developed, you know, push me, pull you with them and mentored them through that, help them get funding. Um, we set them up with their Unity pipeline. Before that, they were sort of just making it in JavaScript and our tech director, you know, set them up with Unity and everything. And then after push me, pull you, they went on and they made Untitled Goose Game. You know, so I, yeah. and then I find myself standing on stage at the Dice Awards accepting Game of the Year, Best Character, all these types of things because, you know, of the support, not obviously they're very talented people. It's not all us, but, you know, the, the small role that we played in helping them get there, it's incredibly rewarding. It's, it's, and it's something that we want to do all the time. We have a work experience program as well um, that's, you know, on and off when we do it. We help Phil Victoria with internships a lot. Um, we've had interns before. We There's, there's so much that we you know, love to do. Um, we're all, always constantly contributing to, you know, like better educating folks like government bodies, IGEA in regards to what the industry needs. Um, you know, I'm the chair of the program advisory committee at RMIT. There's a lot of work that we do. Um, you know, Lisi, our production director at Skill Geek Academy, really trying to give back to the community wherever we can. Yeah, I, I mean, as this interview has gone on, I've learned more and more about the work that you do as well and the studio for the whole of games development in Australia. And honestly, very inspiring. You put you. your fingers in a lot of pies, is that what they call it? You got, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and like that must be extremely uh, like fulfilling, but also some days I know I wake up and I'm like, okay, wow, I gotta, I gotta get all this done and there's a lot coming at me. But, you know, I guess at moments like this, reflecting upon being able to see all of the, the achievements and the milestones that came along the way, it must be rather satisfying. Also like it was worth it. Like here, you know, yeah. despite all these highs, do you have any high, uh, wow, points of, damn, this is really- Pride? Yeah, like the, 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 the main, the ones you're like, that's, that's an extreme moment of pride. Yeah. Go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like seeing, seeing our mellow soar up the Steam top sellers charts, you know, that's, that's huge. Hmm. Um, you know, then there's things like, like I said, you know, standing at the Dice Awards, like, you know, the basically the Oscars of video games and accepting award on behalf of the incredible talented crew at House House, you know, that we helped, we, you know, that we played some part in getting there. Um, and then, then there are other things. I think the most important, you know, obviously there's a studio, like an everyday working with the team and supporting them and the in amazing talent that are there. That's the big one. That's what I really live for. But there's also great stories about like how, you know, these video games, like computer cartoons, who would have thought, but how they really affect and change people's lives. And, you know, they become these really important things that help people get through incredibly dark times or mean more to them than you could ever imagine. Um, it's, it's, it's incredibly gratifying. It's, it's really great. And it, you know, it makes you want to get up every day and just keep doing great stuff. <laughs> that is, um, yeah, with your impact on independent games development in Australia, especially yeah. seeing this growth, do you see a lot of changes that have come with working remotely for quarantine i don't know how much i can mention the fact that what's gone on yeah um yeah 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 i think it's just it's changed it's going to change immensely you know video games is a highly collaborative interdisciplinary uh industry like i think you know we at the start of this we saw great benefits with um you know like all, all of our games getting more revenue when everyone's at home playing video games buying new stuff and we thought, oh, yeah, we're a digital industry. We can go remote. And I think going remote was easy. But now I think that we've been in this for 18 months. I think a lot of studios around the world are figure finding, like, you know, just how much it's hitting um, our communication and how we communicate and the ease of that. And so there are really, really, um, really significant challenges for the video game industry in 
you know, doing the most important thing that we're here to do every day, which is actually collaborating effectively to put a video game in a box, you know, and that's, it's really in the communication and the collaboration working from home and working remotely that we, that we find difficult, that we found it's become more difficult. Um, everything else is fully digital. Like, you know, whether we're in a studio or at home, we're all working on computers plugged into the internet. So that's, and, you know, being game developers, we are all children of the internet as well. So that's fine. It's just, you know, you miss your colleagues and we have a fantastic culture at League of Geeks that really is centered around that place, you know, and coming together as a community. And so we, we just miss that greatly. We, we miss each other very dearly. As well, I realized that, yeah, it's 10.30. I'm sorry to keep holding. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Have a great rest of your day. Good luck with your meeting. Uh, you're in 10.30. Thank you, Tom.